This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Well, guys, uh, with that in mind, uh, I just I want to thank you guys for, for bearing with us and sticking with us through this. What a crazy day we're living in, right? You know, I was telling Shauna the other day, I said, it's, it's going to be amazing because our grandkids are going to have a whole chapter in their history book called 2020 that they are going to read about and study about. And they're going to be like, no way, no way, that, that, that did not really happen. Sounds like a movie. <laughs> uh, been a crazy time, but I, I thank you guys for, uh, for being here and, uh, and joining with us. And those of you who are still joining us online, we thank you so much for that. And, uh, and um, we are so glad that you were able to join us um, over, uh, over technology. We're so thankful for the internet. Um, did anybody, does, uh, by chance, does anybody read the weekly email that Sean and I send out? Oh, there's a few. Oh, good. Praise God. I was wondering. Um, uh, we sent out an email this week, and if you read that email, you know that um, Pastor Bob was supposed to be doing the message this morning. He was going to be doing part 17 of the story. And uh, I, I think it's leaked out there a little bit um, over, I think my, my brother made a post last night on, uh, on Facebook, um, but... Um, but my grandfather passed away last night at 8 o'clock. So my dad's dad. And so, um, so um, yes, it was, uh, it was a surprise. Y'all know that he's been dealing with some health issues. However, he'd been doing really well. The nurse called about 7.30 last night and said he had a great day. He's doing good. We're expecting to see him back home and everything else. And 30 minutes later, she called and said, I don't know what just happened. She said, I went in to check on him, and he was gone. Glory, yes. Yes, that's... Um, I'm thankful that... And my dad was going to do service this morning. <laughs> he called me. Actually, I was going to say my grandfather was, he, he definitely, uh, he definitely was a Christ follower. If there was anything that he was diehard on in his life, he knew that Jesus was the only way. But uh, no, um, I was kind of, we kind of were joking a few weeks ago about how we couldn't make service last minute a few weeks ago. And I called Robert at 1.30 in the afternoon on Saturday and uh, said, can you do service tomorrow? And, uh, and uh, yeah, I got the call at 8.30 last night. And it's like, yeah, I can't, I can't call anybody on that one. That's, <laughs> that's, that's rough. I know Zach's in and I can do it, man. <laughs> I know you can. <laughs> I know you can. Uh, but let me tell you this. Let me, let, me tell you the, let me tell you the kind of guy my dad is. He told me what was going on. He told me what had happened. And he said, I've got a plan. He said, we're not going to tell anybody that dad passed away. We're going to keep it quiet. And as long as nobody says a word, we're going to pull off service tomorrow. He said, I can do it. And I can, I was like, there's no way, man. No way. No way. So um, thank goodness. How many of you read the story this week, chapter 17? Uh, I thank goodness on Monday read chapter 17 of the story. And, uh, and read from the heart of the story in one of the other commentaries. And so I had a heads up on what was going on. And Dad sent me his notes. And, and, uh, and I, I pulled, like I say, some of the other commentaries out and such. And so 
Here we go. I, I got started at about 9.30 last night. All of our kids came home during that time. We had to tell each of them that, that Paul Paul Jack had just passed away. And, and by 1 o'clock this morning, I was on. I was, just, I was just out and was back up between 5, 5.30 this morning. And so I just said, Holy Spirit, please let this mean something. You know, <laughs> please say something this morning, and whatever it may be. So, so um, in, in honor of Father's Day and in honor of my dad, I'm going to start with a joke. Looks like dad is watching online. You're welcome. I'm going to do a good one. <laughs> Take notes. No, it's actually probably not really a good one. But uh, it was actually in one of the commentaries for the story. I was like, oh, that's pretty good. Um, three friends decided to go deer hunting together. A lawyer, a doctor, and a preacher. As they were walking along, there came a big buck. All three shot at exactly the same time. Immediately, the buck dropped to the ground and all rushed over to see how big it was. The only problem was they couldn't determine who shot it actually killed the deer. As heated debate ensued, a few minutes later, a game warden came by and asked what the problem was. The doctor told them that they were debating who shot the buck. The officer took one look at the buck, and within seconds, he said with much confidence, the preacher shot the buck. They all wondered how in the world he knew that so quickly. The officer said, easy, the bullet went in one ear and out the other. Please rate that better than my dad's, please. <laughs> You'll be getting a phone call in just a few minutes so you can review it. No, I'm just kidding. Guys, sometimes, um, sometimes we have a tough job. Sometimes pastors have a tough job. I, maybe especially during COVID-19. Maybe we'll just say 2020. You know, I, uh, I don't know about you, but I'm about ready for 2021. Come on. <laughs> We're not halfway through this year yet, though. Getting close, but... Um, but sometimes we have a tough job, and I think that you guys, uh, many of you understand and know the feeling. Some of you may have been teachers, or you may be a coach, or how many of you in here are parents? Yeah. Sometimes we say woo. Other times we say, eh. How many times, parents, has it felt like your words were going in one ear and out the other, and you stopped and you thought, do they hear one word that I'm saying? Is, am I, is anything getting through, and, and is there any comprehension whatsoever from my child in the midst of this? Do they hear anything that I'm saying? In this week's reading in chapter 17 of the story, uh, we're being introduced to a few prophets. Um, one of them's name is Jeremiah. And we know that Jeremiah was called to be, he was called to be God's mouthpiece uh, really during a time when Israel was falling to pieces. Things were, things were going badly. And the worst part is that God told him to preach and told him that every word he spoke would go in one ear and out the other. So how would you love that to be the calling of your life? God's called you to be the mouth, his mouthpiece to his people. And by the way, nobody's going to listen to you. Every word you say is going to go in one ear and out the other. You know what Jeremiah was also called? He's called the weeping prophet. Seriously. So, as I said, 
We're in chapter 17 of, of the story, and we started this series, for those of you who are watching online or here with us who don't know, uh, we started back in February at the book of Genesis, and uh, we're going to conclude in November in the book of Revelation. Our goal is to understand God's plan. Man, the Bible, many times, especially as new believers, we look at the book and we go, that's a big book. And, you know, how in the world does all of that tie together? And, um, and so our goal is to see God's plan from beginning to end, how it plays out through history up until today and into the future. But we know that it's all about God's plan to bring humanity back into relationship with him the way he originally designed it. And that's what it's all about. So in this series, you, if, if you're new with us, you keep hearing, we keep talking about the story. Uh, we're using a version of the Bible called the stories. Anybody have their actual storybook with them? Hold it up. Oh, there's a few. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Several. That is the book, The Story. It is an abridged version of the Bible in the New International Version. It is in chronological uh, order to, uh, to help us to, uh, to follow along as easy as possible. So, uh, so today, as we go, you can follow along from your storybook. You can follow along in the Bible. You can follow along on the YouVersion Bible app on your mobile device as well. But um, uh, I'll tell you what, let's, let's just pray right quick together. Lord, I thank you so much that you are... A good, good father. Sometimes on Father's Day, you're the last one we think of. We, we, we say nice things and we get gifts and we do all these things for the fathers in our lives. But Lord, we want to say to you, Happy Father's Day. We remember you. And Lord, I thank you for your word. And I just ask today that it would come forth clearly and concisely. Holy Spirit, that you would use it to pierce our hearts. In Jesus' name, that you would speak to us and that we would truly leave this place different than we came. We thank you for all that you're going to do. Inspire new thoughts and ideas. Motivate us to change that we would look a little bit more like Jesus when we leave this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, quick recap on uh, where we're at at the moment. You know, we start in the beginning. We know that God created man in the garden, and God had a vision, but man rejected that vision, and things didn't go so well from that point on. We know that after that, that God makes a promise to Abraham that his descendants would be like the stars of the sky. He said they would be too many to count. And we know that when God makes a promise, God always keeps that promise, right? So he does this. He keeps that promise to Abraham by birthing the nation of Israel, the lineage of Israel, through Abraham, through his seed. So through this nation, through the nation of Israel, God is revealing himself uh, not just to Israel, but to all of the nations of the world. And it's all part of his plan to bring Jesus into the world and bring salvation to all people. So we know if you've been following along up till now, you know that for a while the nation of Israel was, uh, was united and was strong, but things began to change. They finally come out of Egypt. They finally make it into the promised land. They have received the inheritance that God had for them. But the problem is they begin to change. They quit following the ways of the Lord. They have kings that are evil, and the kingdom, we know, becomes divided. We learned about a few weeks ago, and so does their allegiance to God. And we know that things go from bad to worse to even worse. But even in the midst of all that, guys, it's amazing how we look at the Old Testament and we have these ideas of God and his character during that time. But let me tell you that even during this time, God was still that good, good father. A lot of people see God as, as, this, as this harsh uh, God that's bringing judgment and, and, and such. And, and in the midst of it all, yes, God is just. But 
God is good and God is love. And so we're just going to start in, in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 36. 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verses um, 15 and 16. And it says, The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again. Somebody say again. again. And again. Because why? Because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. What do we see in this? Guys, we see God's love and his grace and his mercy. He sent messengers to his people again and again and again. But verse 16 says, But they mocked God's messengers, they despised his words, and they scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. Guys, that's a, that last statement is kind of scary. Until at last, there was, there was no remedy. No remedy. They had gone too far. They were too far gone. God warned them over and over and over again that if they continued in this behavior, that it would lead to their destruction. That it would lead to pain and it would lead to suffering. It would lead to great loss. And he sent messenger after messenger after messenger and eventually, there was no remedy. So, again, if you're a parent, you've been there before. You've warned your child, don't do this because it's dangerous and this is what can happen to you. And you see them trying to do it again and you warn them and you warn them again and again and again and again. Maybe a dozen times. And we love them and we don't want to see them hurt and we don't want to see them suffer. And it's the same way that I see God in the midst of this as he's dealing with the children of Israel. He warns them again and again. But there comes a point where even us as parents, one, we've got to be people of our word. So there comes a point where we may have warned them and, and all of us have probably done it as parents before. We said, look, don't do that again. And they do it. And you're like... Don't do that one more time. This is your last chance. And we come to, there comes a point where we have to say, enough. You have to suffer the consequences of, that, that you were warned of, of your actions, right? And sometimes we don't even have to be the ones to enforce those consequences. Sometimes they suffer the consequences of their actions when we've warned them over and over again just because it's a natural progression. It's just part of their bad behavior. There's consequences that they have to suffer as a result that we didn't even have to take part in. We didn't have, even have to enforce. But we warn and we direct and we correct over and over again why we do it because of love. Now, how many of you remember as kids when your parents warned you and corrected you and came down on you over and over again and you thought they were just being mean? They just don't love me. I just don't, you know, <clears throat> just don't understand them. They just mean old fuddy-duddy, you know. And then you become a parent and you totally get it. And you're like... Man, and, you know, I, I've told Shauna before, I was like, man, I hope I, I, at, at different points in our kids' lives where, it, you know, you've been there where it feels like all you're doing is correcting them during different periods of their life. And I was like, man, I don't want my kids to grow up thinking that being what they remember is all I was doing was always on them harsh all the time. But I love them so much, and I don't want them to suffer, and I want them to go the right direction. I want them to follow in the ways of the Lord, and I want them to be successful in everything they put their hand to. And so what do we do? We warn and we direct and we correct and we discipline. And now we find God with the children of Israel where he is warned and he is warned and he is warned and he comes to the place where he says there is no remedy. 
in their current state, there's no remedy. So the people, God warns them, but the people reject his word and his guidance to the point there's no remedy. In their current state, there was nothing else God could do. They rejected him and rejected him over and over and over again. They brought terrible destruction upon themselves. But, guys, here's the good news. Just because there's no remedy in that moment doesn't mean there's not a plan. And that's what I'm just going to give you. A, I'm just going to give you a few points today. First point is number one: if you're following along in the U Version Bible app or taking notes, we are never without hope because God is never without a plan. We are never without hope because God is never without a plan. Now, let me read you a very familiar scripture. You guys know Jeremiah 29:11. It's it's the graduation scripture. It's on every graduation card out there. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Isn't that just encouraging? Like I say, it's on all these graduation cards, uh, you know, around this time of year. But long before it was on graduation cards, God spoke these words directly to his people, Israel. Right at the same time that they were being delivered into Babylon. Right at the time when there was no remedy, these are the words that God spoke. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. So these are the words that Jeremiah is speaking by the word of the Lord to the children of Israel. Sounds great, right? Somebody came to you and said those words to you, you'd say, awesome, what's God's plan for me? Yes. But one thing we forget to do many times, we forget to look at the previous verse. So look back at verse 10 for just a second. Here's what God said just before that. In verse 10, he said, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and to give you a future. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was one of the children of Israel, I'd have been like, hold up a second. Wait, let's back up to the 70 years for just a minute, right? Wait, 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 what about the 70 years? Yeah, I know, you, you have a plan and a, and a future for me, but what, what's, this, what's, this whole, what's this whole 70 years thing? What, what, what's this about Babylon? You know, when, when 70 years are complete, you'll fulfill your promise and bring us home? 70 years being in a foreign land, knowing that your homeland has been destroyed, 70 years of being an outsider, 70 years of being a foreigner, 70 years of pain and suffering. Something Pastor Bob said in his notes I thought was good. He said many times we look at this, the exile into Babylon, we look at it as a punishment. But really what God was doing is he was rescuing them. It wasn't as much a punishment as it was a rescue mission. Because the captivity was ultimately going to bring their freedom. God knew that idolatry leads to captivity. God knew that sin opens the door to captivity and bondage. And so he knew 
that this was not, this was not as much a punishment. This was a, this was a rescue. This was for their freedom. And I, I believe that, you know, it's probably hard for the people to see in the midst of this that God was rescuing them from their idolatry and sin, but it's exactly what he was doing. He was rescuing them from their idolatry and sin so that he could lead them back home to fulfill God's plan for their life. What was the plan? To bring forth the Savior of the world so that all of mankind can come back into relationship with him. But 70 years, right? 70 years. And, you know, we don't always understand God's timing and things, but we're never without a hope because God is never without a plan. And this is what Jeremiah is communicating here. See, here's what God knew about Israel, and it's what he knows about you and me. Israel had lost their first love. We, we, if you remember back when we talked about Joshua and the kind of the glory days of Israel, and even, even through the days even of, uh, of, of, of David and, and such, the glory days when, when the people were seeking after the Lord, but they had lost their first love. They had forgotten God. The Bible says that they were continually doing evil in the sight of the Lord. So they had forgotten God, but the good news is that God had not forgotten them. How they lived would not change his love for them. He still wanted them back. And if you notice in Jeremiah 29, it says, uh, what God says, I will fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. This is as he's sending them out into exile to Babylon. I will fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Guys, in this portion of Scripture, he is not some angry God working on payback. He's a loving God working on the way back. Do you see it? God's not concerned about payback, but he will make a way back. And so this is where, if we go to, for just a minute, if we go back in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 1, these are, this is where we're introduced to Jeremiah initially. In Jeremiah chapter 1, Verses 4 and 5, it says, The word of the Lord came to me, being Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were, set, before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So as we established, Jeremiah's job was to basically preach to the people, a people that he knew weren't going to listen to him. His words were going to go in one ear and out the other. And how does he respond to God in this moment? He actually responds the same way we saw Moses respond, the same way we saw Gideon respond. He says those same words. He goes, I don't know how to speak. I don't speak very good. Then he said, I'm too young. We know that he was fearful and he probably felt inadequate in the midst of this. But if you jump down to verse 9, God's response to Jeremiah was just like it was to Moses. He said, I have put my words in your mouth. So, Picture Jeremiah for just a minute. There stands Jeremiah in Jerusalem. The temple has been destroyed, the temple of Solomon, the pride and joy of Israel. The temple has been destroyed. And Israel, I'm sorry, Jerusalem is burning. And the people have been taken captive and are being filed out to Babylon. And there stands Jeremiah, and he does what the Lord told him to do. He begins to cry out, and he says, this is not the end. He says, there is a hope. 
God has a plan. He will bring us back. He's crying this out over and over again as the people are being led out into captivity. And I, I can only imagine that that, just like you and I, that, that has to be difficult for Jeremiah uh, as it would have been for us. Because if you look, um, the next book after Jeremiah is, um, is Lamentations. Jeremiah wrote Lamentations as well. And in Lamentations uh, chapter 3, verses 21 through 23, uh, this is what he says. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Jeremiah is remembering. And he says he has hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's Jeremiah's response. Now, some of us feel like, as I said, that 2020 has been a little bit of a rough year. But again, let me remind you of Jeremiah standing there, watching a pagan nation invade probably killing many of his loved ones, leading the rest of them off as slaves, stealing all their valuables, burning their homes, destroying, leveling their cities. And how does Jeremiah respond? He responds with, great is your faithfulness. I think it's hard to even comprehend sometimes, but here's what I came to in the midst of this. And this was actually one of my dad's notes that I thought was awesome. God is completely just and righteous, yet fully loving and compassionate. God is completely just and righteous, yet fully loving and compassionate. And sometimes people ask the question, they say, well, well is God the God of judgment of the Old Testament, or is he the God of mercy of the New Testament? What's the answer? Yes. <laughs> He's the same God. He's... But here's the cool thing. We have the Word of God. They didn't have that back then. And I believe the Word of God helps to give us a glimpse of God a bit more in His entirety of who He is and His character. We get a glimpse of the fullness of His nature. Does that make sense? So we are never without hope because God always has a plan. Which takes us to number two, is which really what I just mentioned. Number two, God is completely just and completely merciful. God is completely just and he is completely merciful. He can be both. He can be both at the same time. And I think one of the, one of the examples I read in one of the commentaries of the story I thought was very appropriate today with, with, it, with it being Father's Day. You know, many times... As uh, many times, not always the case, but many times the case is that uh, we as dads are, um, are the ones who are um, a little bit more about justice, while mom is a little bit more about mercy, right? I know some of y'all, that's not, I know some of y'all, that's not quite true, but, but I think for the most part, dad can be more about justice, mom is more about the mercy. And, you know, I think that as dads, many times we can tend to kind of see things in, in, in black and white, uh, their expectations and there are consequences. The end, right? <laughs> How many of you had a dad like that? Had, had, I mean, black and white, this is the way it is. Many times moms are a little more merciful. They maybe are a little more inclined to say, oh, maybe we should give them another chance. Or a third or a fourth or whatever it may be, depending on your situation. Uh, how many of you had a mom a little bit more like that? 
Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, it kind of got me to thinking about one of our kids, and um, I, would, I would never embarrass him by saying which one. I'm going to keep that, going to keep it quiet, but, oh, is he here? Oh, there he is. Hey, bud. Love you. He's going, oh, no, what's he going to say? Um, one of our kids has a tendency to uh, procrastinate sometimes, has a little bit of a hard time being on time. And so, after trying this a hundred different ways, being on time, we'll finally say, okay, look, tomorrow morning, we have to leave at 8 8, 8.30 sharp. 8.30 sharp, not 8.01, 8.30 sharp. We need you out there. Be out there, be out there a minute early. 8.30 sharp. And let, let me tell you, if you know this child of mine... Um, <laughs> It got very interesting because we got into a debate over which clock we were using, and <laughs> uh, which we now use our phones since they're all synced together, and we can look to the second, you know, we, we can use our phones. Um, he's um, gone so far as to say because he was out there and ready by 8.30 and 57 seconds, he was on time, you know, because it's still technically 8.30 on an analog clock, you know. Um, and I'm saying, nope, 8.30 and one second, and you're late. There will be consequences. So, <laughs> so what happens at 8.30 and one second? I, I close the garage door and start backing out the driveway, right? Start backing out the drive and get out to the street and about to start pulling down the street. And he has this uncanny way of coming out the front door like a blur, uh, li literally half-dressed, holding belts and shoes and, and shirts and, and running, running toward the car. And he catches up with the car, which I have not stopped yet, by the way. And will throw open the back door and throw, throw his clothes in and stuff and then make a leap to jump into the car, which is the point where my wife has on multiple occasions spoken up. And she'll say, Rob, stop. He's, tr he's trying to get in the car. You're going to run over his legs. And I'm like, I told him, 8.30, not 8.30 in one second, 8.30, 8.30, Right? I am dead serious. <laughs> you mean I'm not serious? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Uh, we, can, we can bring him up here and ask him. <laughs> hey, guys, here's the thing. God, on the other hand, he is completely just and completely merciful. Let me show you how. Jesus took our sin and gave us his righteousness. Now, here's something that you may need to write down if you're not, if you're not using the YouVersion Bible notes. And I, I put this in there. The full wrath of God was poured out on Jesus so that the full mercy of God could be poured out on you and me. 
The full wrath of God was poured out on Jesus so the full mercy of God could be poured out on you and me. And guys, that's the important question I end every service with, really, is have you accepted that mercy? Have you accepted his plan? What is his plan? His plan is Jesus. Have you, have you received him? Or are you still trying to find hope in your own plan? Read you um, Jeremiah verse 2. I'm sorry, chapter 2, verses 11 and 13. Look at what this says. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, Broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Guys, you may be here and you may be exhausted in this life from trying to do things your own way. You may be worn out from trying to dig your own broken, leaky cisterns. And really, what is this all about? It's all about idolatry. It's all about idolatry. Selfishness. Idolatry... How my dad defines it, idolatry means anything or anyone we give primary love, preoccupation, or influence over our hearts instead of Jesus. Anything that displaces God from the throne of our heart, giving honor and worship to any created thing, is idolatry. Guys, this was the sin of Israel. And this is our sin today. It's about self. It's about selfishness. We think about idolatry. What are the things that that we displace God from his throne with? We think about love and career and money and pleasure and, I don't know, shopping and maybe even eating. Even, Even good things in modern day can become idolatry if it displaces God from his throne in our lives. Guys, it can even be your family and your children. They can become idols in your life. And remember what God said. He said, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. A cistern is basically just a reservoir, or, um, and today it would be like a tank to hold water. Um, those of us who were, went to Israel last year, we saw some ancient cisterns. But the problem is that these cisterns, he's talking about how they're digging these, these cisterns on their own, and they don't hold water because they are cracked and they're broken, and they simply won't hold water. And one of the things my dad was going to mention this morning was he was talking about the cisterns of this world. They, they only temporarily satisfy. You have to keep refilling them because they're always leaking. The cisterns of the world are also polluted. The, the, what they contain, what they hold is unclean, remembering that God is the only source of living water, and which is the only thing that can truly satisfy our lives. So if you look at, at, at John chapter 4, uh, Jesus encounters... Um, the woman in Samaria, and, um, and she is really, she's somebody who we would say has forsaken the Lord and has dug her own cisterns. And how do we know that? We just know a little bit of her story, but, but we know that she had had, uh, was going through relationship after relationship after relationship, that she was living with this guy. And, um, and, and Jesus meets her out of all places. Where does he meet her? At a well. And The interesting thing is, as I read this, Jesus' words were very similar to Jeremiah's in what he spoke to her. And this is what he said, and this is in John chapter 4, and it's uh, verses 13 through 15. It says, Jesus answered, this is what he said to the lady, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Now, guys, you think about water. We here in the Memphis area have some of the top-rated, best-tasting water in the world. We have won awards for the water in this area because of the aquifer under this, uh, under this region. How many of you have traveled and been to other places and you've taken one sip of water and been like, oh, what is this? It's because we are spoiled with great water here where we live. We have our own well. We have our own aquifer. We tap it right into our houses. But guys, we, like the woman at the well, she, she misunderstood a little bit. We too can be like her and be dry and be thirsty and be unsatisfied. And Jesus offers this living water from the well that never runs dry. So my two points up to this point. Number one, where did number one go? There it is. We are never without hope because God is never without a plan. Number two, God is completely just and completely merciful. And the last point, like I say, another one of these I got from my dad, you are deeply loved by the only one who can satisfy your deepest desires. You are deeply loved by the only one who can satisfy your deepest desires. Understand something, guys. I, I, look at the parallels between our lives and the children of Israel as they're being led out into captivity, where they're at that point of no remedy for their situation. Guys, it doesn't matter how far you've wandered away from God in your life. It doesn't matter if, you've ex- if you have exhausted yourself and spent your entire life digging leaky cisterns in your own strength. It doesn't matter what the idolatry looks like in your life. It might be money or power, sex, relationships, career, pride. It might be physical appearance, approval of man. Like I said, it can even be family and kids. It doesn't matter what the idolatry is in your life doesn't matter what people have told you. People may have told you your whole life that you're not enough, that you're the least qualified, that you're inadequate, that you'll never amount to anything. It doesn't matter if you have been wounded, hurt, disappointed, devastated. I'm here to tell you this. This is my point. There is a fountain. There is a spring of living water that gives eternal life that never runs dry and never runs out. And it's available to us today. It's not in limited supply. The Bible tells us that it is overflowing. The living water is found in the person of Jesus. And let me tell you this. It doesn't matter what your situation may be. If you have Jesus, you have everything. You have everything. You may feel like you're in a lousy, dead-end job right now. You know what? If you have Jesus, you have everything. You may be struggling. You may be struggling in your body right now. Maybe you're struggling with some sickness or or, or something, and, and it's just getting you down. If you have Jesus, you have everything that you need. You may be broke at the moment, not have a dollar to your name, and not know how you're going to pay the bills tomorrow. If you have Jesus the living water, you have everything. Everything. So, I don't know where you're at this morning, 
But you might be like the children of Israel and you may feel like you're in Babylon right now. I know a lot of people do. A lot of people have suffered some tough stuff over, over the, the period of the last four or five months. And it may be relationships. It may be jobs. I, I don't know what it may be in your life. It may seem like nothing's going right for you. As it's time to quite quit trying to figure it all out on our own. It's time to quit trying to drink out of an old, broken, cracked cistern. And it's time to drink from the source of living water. Again, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Doesn't matter where you're at. Doesn't matter what's happened to you. Doesn't matter where you find yourself in this very moment. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. You know what the message Bible says? It says, my plans is to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. How many of you would say, that sounds really good? Sounds really good. Guys, we are never without hope. Why? Because God always has a plan. And as I conclude, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as I'm about to close out. But guys, you may be here and, and you just would say, I don't get it. I've always thought of God as that just God that brings his judgment. I don't even, you may be out there and feel like you don't even deserve his mercy and his grace. But the reality is all we have to do is turn. All we have to do is repent and turn from our ways and follow Jesus. And, and let me give you a, a, a promise. Here's something really cool that the prophet Ezekiel said. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25, he said, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all of your what? Your idols. What are the idols in your life right now? A lot of people. We've got all different kinds of idols. And guys, I encourage you now, let's lay those things down. Let's lay them at his feet. Your idol might be, your idol might be your opinion, always having to be right. Your idol might be your political affiliation. I don't know what it is for you. But if we turn, he promises to make us clean and to cleanse us from our impurities and from our idols. And I just wanted to kind of end with this, another statement my dad made. He said, God has sworn an unconditional, unqualified covenant of peace with you. God has sworn an unconditional, unqualified covenant of peace with you. That's all you have to do is surrender. That's it. Quit digging your own cistern and doing your own thing. You know the problem with digging your own cistern, leaky cistern, and it's always leaking, is you got to keep refilling it all the time. What good is that to get water? When he promises us that he is a spring of living water that will never run dry, all we've got to do is accept him. We've got to stop trying to do our th own thing, accept the love that comes from the only one that can satisfy the void in our life. And we will get on with the story 
in about a month and a half, we will follow up and we will see that God fulfills his promise and he brings them back, right? They rebuild the walls and they become a nation again back in the land that God had promised them. And God will do the same in your life wherever you find yourself. You're never too far gone. Trust him. Amen. Let's stand up together as we conclude. If you would just bow your heads. Guys, I'm I'm not even going to yeah, I am. Let's all bow our heads for just a moment. I just, there it is. I, I feel like the Lord wants to say something to those of us that are dealing with worry and anxiety in our lives if that's you right now be bold how many of you would say okay couple how many of you'd say that you're dealing with some anxiety in this yep how many, come on the unknown the uncertainty you're trying to guys I'm, I'm not raising my hand to get you to raise your hand I'm doing it because I'm there a little bit too I like being in control a little bit more, and things are completely out of control right now. <laughs> things, are, things are so far out of our control. We've got to trust God and roll with it. And that's hard sometimes. But the problem is it becomes idolatry because we're allowing our own thoughts and our own justifications and our own ways of trying to figure things out to displace God from his throne on our heart. We're not stopping and saying, God, I trust you. We're not taking our hands off of it. We're keeping our hands on the problem. And God's saying, let go and let me have it. We just won't let go. Just that's you, I want you to let go right now. Actually, I want you to repent. Just, y'all just press in for just a moment. God, there is, Lord, there is so much anxiety and there's so much fear right now in our nation there's so much in the body of Christ and a whole number of people in this room right now and maybe even some watching online have acknowledged they're dealing with this anxiety and this fear of the unknown and God we recognize that that can become an idol in our life because we're not trusting you and we're displacing you from the throne of our heart and so Lord we repent right now in Jesus name we say, Lord, that we trust you. We believe that you've got not only our life, but this world in your hands. And we're going to allow you to do your thing. We're going to get our hands out of this. Stop making these crazy cracked cisterns that are leaking everywhere. And we're going to allow you to be the spring of living water. You're going to allow you to be the one to refresh us and strengthen us and encourage us from this point onward. And we're going to share that strength with those around us in Jesus' name. We're going to be that strength to our family, to our church family, to everybody we come in contact with in Jesus' name. Lord, we repent for looking for, at every different direction but you. Lord, you are the author and finisher of our faith. We place you on that throne of our hearts. If you're here and you have not accepted Jesus or if you have not surrendered your life to him, I want to give you that opportunity 
give me one more minute. Who in here would say, with every head bowed, I need to surrender my life to Jesus today? If that's you, I want you to real quickly lift up your hand and let me see. Anybody in this place that would say, I need to surrender my life to Jesus? Okay. Well, there may be some watching online. And you know what? There might be a couple in this room. And you just didn't feel comfortable raising your hand yet. But let me tell you what. All you got to do, repent. Be willing to repent and turn from your sin. Confess Jesus as Lord of your life. And follow him you will be saved. You'll have the creator of the universe walking hand in hand with you. If that's you, all you've got to do is just pray a simple prayer. Just say, Father, Father God, I, I've tried living this life on my own. I've got a history of digging a bunch of cracked cisterns that are leaking everywhere that won't hold water. And today, I want some of that living water that's overflowing, that never runs dry. I want to be refreshed. I want to be satisfied. That void in my heart, I want to be satisfied with the only one that can bring that satisfaction. And I know that it's you. So today, I turn from my sin. I choose to quit living for myself. And Lord, I'm going to live for you from this day forward. Jesus, I believe that you are fully man and fully God. That you came on your own free will. And you laid down your life on my behalf as my sacrificial lamb. You took my judgment so that I could receive God's mercy. Today I declare that you are Lord of my life and I will follow you to the end. Holy Spirit, fill me, empower me to be everything you called me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.